Last week we started this uh, this Armor of God study uh, on Ephesians chapter 6 and uh, just recognizing that we are in a supernatural battle, a battle for our souls, a spiritual battle, and so we need to protect ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. So it's in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, and it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in, cha- in chains. <clears throat> Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So just to review, to bring you up to speed, this is God's armor. It's not our armor. Uh, it's, it's supernatural, spiritual stuff. It's not your strength. It's not your skill. It's not your ingenuity or your efforts that will help you succeed spiritually. This is God's armor. Uh, it's only God and only his armor that will enable us to stand when the day of evil comes. That being said, at the same time, we have to put it on. We have to uh, take on and put on the armor of God. We have to practice these things in our lives. We have to develop these things. We have to cultivate them in our lives. God provides the power. God provides the armor. We have to put it on. So last week we buckled the belt of truth and we, uh, the belt went on first, um, in the, uh, in the, and there's, yeah, there's the picture. There's the guy and you see the belt of truth and uh, it goes on and, and that's, that's, um, somebody's rendition of, of a, uh, of a Roman soldier. Uh, again, uh, Paul was writing this while he was imprisoned and, uh, under guard 24 seven and a Roman soldier that probably wore, uh, uh, stuff exactly like this. Uh, it, so it's fresh in Paul's mind and he's saying, okay, well, yeah, this is the belt and that belt goes on first and it's the belt of truth, he says. Uh, and, and it, it holds a lot of the other armor together. So a lot of the, the, the other things kind of attached to or uh, are held up by the, uh, the belt of truth. And so we said that living lives of, of, of truth and integrity and founded on the truth of God uh, uh, enables, it kind of is like that belt that kind of holds everything together. It also uh, it, uh, prepares us for action. So the belt kind of uh, holds everything together so that, uh, so that the soldier could, uh, could take off and, and, and do what he needed to do. So this belt of truth is central to our lives and fits us for action. Connected to that belt and next to go on was the Roman soldier's breastplate. This was a, a piece of armor usually made by small pieces of metal all connected together to form a solid shield that, uh, that was worn uh, to protect against the weapons of the enemy. So it protected the vital organs, especially the heart. A, a blow from an enemy that would normally be fatal could be shrugged off if the, if the soldier was wearing his breastplate. And Paul says that righteousness does that 
for our spiritual hearts. That reminds me of, of one of the, uh, I think one of the main, one of the most important uh, Proverbs that King Solomon wrote clear back in the, in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs 4.23. And it says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. So this, this concept of, of protecting our spiritual lives that Paul is bringing up, it, it's not anything new. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of years before, before the apostle Paul, King Solomon is already writing about this, this need to protect your heart. It, it, it's not talking about your physical heart, although that's important to protect your physical heart. And we, we, uh, we do that in a lot of ways today, whether it's eating well or exercising or, or what we wear, uh, to protect us. He's not just talking about our emotions. Uh, we use a, a lot of heart language when we talk about our uh, romance and uh, relationships and how we feel, right? But, but, but uh, certainly this is more than that. Uh, neither Solomon nor Paul were simply wanting us to protect our emotions. The heart that, that, and how it's used in Scripture over and over and over again is the essence of who we are. It's, it's, it's who we are at our core. It's our spiritual life. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's importance shows up throughout the Bible over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, we're commanded to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Proverbs 3, 5. Uh, we're, we're uh, told in Psalms 119 to hide God's word in our heart. The, the prophet Samuel revealed that God does not evaluate people by their outward appearance, but he looks at the heart. In the New Testament, Jesus declared that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, when, when describing the kingdom of God in, in Matthew 15, Jesus revealed that things that come out, of, it's the things that come out of your heart that defile a person. Uh, he, he told the, the Pharisees that the words that, that, that they say, the words that, that, that we say are overflowing from our hearts. So if we have, uh, we have words that are, that are not appropriate, they're coming from a heart that is, is, uh, not where it needs to be. Jesus also taught in Luke chapter 12, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, the Apostle Paul prayed for the saints in, in Ephesians in the, the first chapter that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. He also said that, that we are saved in, in Romans, that we are saved by believing in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's how we are saved. Over and over and over. That's just a, a few of the, the, uh, the descriptions in the Bible talking about our hearts. All through the Bible, we see God communicating to us the importance and significance of our spiritual heart, the core of who we are. And so we should guard it. There, I think there's several reasons why we should guard it, just practically speaking. The, the first one is that your heart is extremely valuable. We should guard our hearts because it's extremely valuable. We don't guard worthless things, do we? I mean, we guard things that we consider valuable. We have locks on our door, the doors of our home so that no one will break in and steal the things that we consider valuable. Some of you have uh, a safe uh, maybe in your home or, uh, where you put things that are, that are really valuable. And, and, or maybe it's in a, a, a safety deposit box down at the bank, or the, 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 you know, jewelry or important papers or all those stacks of cash that you have laying or whatever it is that you, uh, you, you're trying to protect things that you value. And so we have locks and deadbolts and security systems and alarms and some people even have security guards so that we can protect what we 
value. Of course, these days we have a lot of digital security too, right? And, and so all those passwords for all your online stuff are actually, if you're like me, it's that one password that you use 3,000 times because otherwise you'll forget. And uh, so it's really secure, right? Uh, and it's, it's got uppercase and lowercase and numbers and one of those little squiggle things somewhere in there, right? Uh, you've got an at sign or a dollar sign or whatever, and, and you've got to do it real catchy so that you remember it. My wife has uh, encouraged me, and we've, we've tried, um, to have a little box with all this, the, the uh, passwords and things, the sign-in, pa- and that's a, a, we got little cards, and they're in the box, and then we can, and what's that? And now I told, so if you go in our house and go in the, in the when, when my dad passed away, we had a Dickens of a time, because he, I mean, letter of the law, every password was, had to be different because you had to be secure. And uh, so we had to, but he had a little box. And so we have been inspired. Uh, anyway, uh, I have seen more than once uh, someone who has on their computer the sticky note with the password <laughs> so that uh, they won't forget. Maybe that's you. Maybe we need to testify. Um, but, uh, you know, we need to protect these. Your bank accounts... Uh, your iTunes account, whatever you think is valuable and most important, we need to protect. We guard those things. You can usually tell how much value someone puts into something uh, by seeing how invested they are in protecting it, right? If it's no big deal, there's no protection. If it's a little bit uh, more and more and more, you see how valuable something is by how invested someone is in protecting it. Every week at our house, we wheel our big blue can from behind the house out to the street, and it is full of stuff. Sometimes there's a little black can that goes out with it, and it's full of stuff. And it sits there out at the road, completely accessible to anyone and everyone who drives by. No guard, no lock, no alarm, no anything, and no one touches it because it's trash, right? Garbage. There's no value to, even if someone does, and on occasion, maybe someone does stop by. I've gotten behind the guy uh, going through the neighborhood who's stopping on trash day, right, to dig through the, okay, well, that's great. But the person that put it out there finds no value in it. And so we put it out by the curb because it's trash to me. So go ahead. You can, you can deal with it however you want to. That's great. More power to you. I'm not guarding it. You can have it. It's not worth anything to me. I guard, I protect what I value. Your heart is the essence of who you are. It is the core of your being. It is extremely valuable. So your first priority, not just if you get around to it, but uh, Solomon says, above all else. In other words, first and foremost, number one, above all anything else, guard your heart. It's extremely valuable. Guard your heart. Uh, another reason why is that your heart is the source of everything you do. That's why it's so valuable. It's the source. It is the wellspring of life. Everything flows out of your heart. The late Peter Marshall, former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, uh, told a story about a, an old man who lived high above an Austrian village on the eastern slope of the Alps. He'd been hired by the village council many years before to to clear away the debris from the pools of water in the spring in the mountain crevices that fed the lovely stream that flowed through the village. 
And so with faithful, silent regularity, he patrolled the hills and he removed the leaves and branches from the spring and he wiped away the silt that would otherwise have choked out that, that, uh, the, the, and contaminated that fresh flow of water. And the village became a popular attraction for visitors and, and swans came and, and made their home and floated along the clear crystal stream and picnickers gathered along its banks and the view of the water from the local shops was just amazing. Years passed. One evening, the village council met at its semi-annual meeting and they looked over the budget and someone noticed this budget line item that said uh, this certain amount of money was being paid to the keeper of the spring. Well, uh, the, the, the village treasurer said, well, who is this keeper of the spring? I mean, I write these te- checks and I send them off, but I've never met him. And sitting around there, no one else had, had ever met him. Why do we keep him on the, on the payroll year after year? Uh, we never see him. We, we haven't met him. For all we know, he's just taking our money and, and uh, doing no good whatsoever. And so, so uh, I think maybe we could just cut this out of the budget and that'll save, uh, save some, some money. And so they did that. And uh, they, dis- they sent a letter to the address they'd been sending the checks and dismissed the man. For several weeks, nothing much changed. The village went, around, went, went about its business as usual. But as autumn approached, the trees began to lose their leaves and small branches snapped off and fell into the, 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 the spring and the pools that fed the stream and, and the, the rushing flow slowed down and, and the sparkling water began to get a yellowish brown tint to it and, and, uh, through the course of that fall, the water got darker and darker and, and, a slimy film started to cover sections of the water along the bank and, and, uh, by spring there was an odor that was, uh, detected and the swans took off and, and uh, the, the tourists that, that came realized it wasn't what it had used to be. And, and uh, even some folks who had been used to just drinking the water uh, just because uh, it was so clean and, and wonderful uh, now got sick after drinking the water. And so the village council uh, at, their, at their spring meeting uh, had much discussion and they realized the error of their judgment and they hired back the keeper of the spring and within a few a uh, few weeks and months, the water became, began to revitalize and the, over time, the swans and the visitors returned and the, the, the vitality and the well-being of this little village in, in the Alps was restored. The keeper of the spring, this hidden place somewhere up in the, up in the, the, the mountains that was really the secret of it all. Solomon says that your heart is a little bit like that. It's the wellspring of life. What's in your heart flows into everything else in your life. It flows into your words. It flows into your thoughts, your actions, your habits, your decisions. The wellspring of life. So it has to be guarded. If it's unhealthy, if you, if you just let anything influence your heart, your life will get clogged up and, and will get soiled and, 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 and problems happen. But, but if you're taking the time and the energy to invest in your soul, to invest in your spiritual life, to protect your heart, it allows these other aspects of your life to flow fresh and clean. We need to guard our hearts because it has so much value. We need to guard our hearts because it's the wellspring of life. We need to guard our hearts because it's under attack. Our hearts are under attack. Paul emphasizes that in our, in our passage in Ephesians. He says that our enemy, the devil, is, is very real and would like nothing better than to take us down spiritually. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to come at us with a, with a life-threatening blow to the chest. Many times 
It's that small compromise here or a, a temptation to linger too long there or, or a, a, a place to, uh, to hang out with the wrong influences here or a bad habit that settles in and they're settling for less than, than what is best and our hearts are under attack and so they need to be protected. Many reasons why we need to do that. So the question is, well, how do I do that? Paul says we do that by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness protects your heart. Righteousness is kind of a church word, I think. You probably don't talk about righteousness too much in your normal, everyday uh, uh, interactions with other people. Uh, so I, maybe we need to define it. Uh, what is righteousness? I, I guess one simple way to think about it is right living. Uh, I still remember early on in my ministry here in, in Medina, I went with a couple of guys from our church to, uh, to play in the district golf scramble. And uh, since we needed a fourth, there were just three of us, we needed one more. And so uh, they, they put, um, oh, poor soul, uh, they put him with the three of us, but uh, uh, Dr. D.E. Clay. And uh, some of you met Dr. Clay when he came and spoke at our uh, dedication of this building nine, just over nine years ago. Uh, he was the founding pastor of this church uh, back in 1941 and then had gone on to be uh, be the, the first district superintendent of the North Central Ohio District. Anyway, he's in his 80s. He was in his 80s at the time and uh, and he got matched up with us and we were very happy because although he didn't hit it very far, he hit it very straight. And uh, it was a, a great, great thing. About partway through that round, I, I still remember, I told this story many, many times, uh, but uh, uh, partway through the round, he was talking about, and he was just, he was in the picture of health. I mean, literally just, you know, uh, energy and vitality and, and just uh, still, you know, just, it, it was contagious. And, and so I remember him talking partway through the round, and he said he'd just been to the doctor uh, the previous week and his doctor had done the tests and everything and, and said, man, you're, you're in such good, what's your secret to be in such good health? And, and, uh, Dr. Clay said, uh, well, uh, I play a lot of golf and clean living, he said. And his doctor replied, I think I'll take up golf. Clean living. Right living, probably a good definition of righteousness. So you could maybe just insert that uh, in your mind. Doing the right things, uh, doing what pleases God, avoiding sin. The Bible talks about righteousness a lot, holiness. Uh, we, we know we should do the right things. We have the tendency, though, right, to, to not do the right things all the time. And, and, and many times we say, oh, that's just how I am. It's just impossible. I can't really live a righteous life. I can't really be righteous. I can't be holy. I, I can't do that. But let me remind you in that, that this armor is God's armor. He's righteous. You're right. You're not righteous. <laughs> Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. We are not righteous. We can't be righteous, but we can put on God's righteousness. It happens as we walk through what, uh, what uh, the church in years gone by used to call consecration. Not concentration, so what some of you need to do right now. But I'm just kidding, just kidding. Consecration. 
It's the process of, of turning my life over to God for his use. It's getting out of the way so that God can do his work in me, so that God can develop his character in me, so that God can form his righteousness in me. I consecrate, I, I set aside my life, my, my desire, so that God will live his life through me. And when we do that, we begin to live with godly discernment, right? Righteousness protects our heart by straining out anything that might harm it. Youth pastor out of seminary and uh, lived in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, was teaching the middle school Sunday school class one morning and uh, decided that... Um, uh, talking about some of these these very things and how we need to to guard our hearts and protect ourselves and so I I, I took our our spaghetti strainer from home and and took it to Sunday school class as a as an illustration and and uh, we were we were pouring uh, pouring I had some sand and then I put some stuff in the sand, old bolts and and uh, washers and things and and some bigger rocks and those kinds of, we poured that through the spaghetti strainer and so it strained out all that stuff and we're left with. Just sand, right? And so the, the, uh, the illustration is that we're straining out the impurities and, and, and we're left with the good stuff. Good object lesson, great, great thing. Probably should have brought my spaghetti strainer today. Except that the pastor's seventh grade son was in that class and he tended to be a little bit excitable, uh, and get things a little bit confused. And, um, so he told his dad, my boss, Right after church, when his dad said, uh, tell me about what you learned in Sunday school today, he said, Dad, Pastor Pete had a stripper in Sunday school class today. Not a stripper, a strainer. We're straining out the sinful things. The whole point of the lesson, quite a, quite a uh, conversation with my boss on Monday morning. You know, some people say we're not supposed to judge, right? But uh, literally, we take we make judgments every day. It's called discernment, holy discern, choosing the best influences for my heart. What am I going to allow into my heart? What am I going to allow to influence me? And, and some things are are not okay, and and we shouldn't allow them to influence our lives. We do that with food. Just at a restaurant last night, and and there was a whole menu. And I only chose one thing. I judged against all the other things on that menu, right? Just one thing. I, I discerned what, well, I don't know whether it was best for me or not. Probably, maybe not. But, uh, but, but, but I could have eaten anything, but I choose to eat only that. We, we do that in our, in our diet day to day, right? I choose, I could have whatever, but I choose to do this because I'm choosing what, hopefully what's, what's best for us. Am I judging my food? Well, yes, of course you are. You're, you're, you're discerning what's good for you and what's bad for you, what you like, what you don't like, what, what is going to affect you best. And the same thing holds true in the things that we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we spend our time online with. It's true for the relationships with we have. We need to discern good from bad and strain out the bad. If we're wearing the breastplate of righteousness, we won't have strippers in Sunday school, I guess. What? Maybe Sunday school is the best place for, for strippers. I don't know. It's a whole other sermon. The point is, sinful influences don't get through the breastplate of righteousness. Righteous discernment protects our hearts. And actually, putting on the breastplate of righteousness is, is more than just protection. 
It, we're actually, I guess I, I, I want to think about it more like investing in our souls, developing godly character, allowing God to influence our lives. And as he forms his righteousness, as he forms his holiness in us, we can withstand the temptations as they come. So putting on the, the breastplate of righteousness is, is much more intense than just saying, oh, God, help me to be good today. Or, oh, I, I, I want to do better in a certain area of my life. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness is a complete consecration of myself for God's use. And until we come to that place of, of turning everything over to God, we will struggle against sin. I'm not saying that, that after we fully consecrate our, our, ourselves to God, then it, it's automatic and, and we just don't sin anymore, but, but the struggle is much less intense. We've turned our lives over to God and, and it's our heartfelt intention to always live for Him completely and then He lives out His righteousness in us. This doesn't happen overnight. Of course, there's a, there's a moment of decision. We come up to a place of, okay, God, you can have me completely. Uh, I, I, I set aside my life and allow you to live yours in me. There, there is a moment of decision, but then it's a lifetime of living it out, becoming more and more righteous. The breastplate of righteousness takes concerted time and effort to put on and to maintain. And that just might be the biggest hindrance to our being prepared for battle, the time that we invest in putting on and maintaining righteousness. See, we live in a fast-paced, microwave, fast-food world, right? And we want our spiritual lives to have quick fix fixes and three easy steps for this here and five easy steps for that there, and, and then we move on. But it's impossible to develop your spiritual life with quick fixes, Instead of a microwave, maybe we need to be thinking of a slow cook over a long time. Uh, I may or may not at times flick on the TV to the food channel, and I may or may not catch the last eight minutes of diners, drive-ins, and dives from time to time. Don't judge me. It just happens sometimes, okay? If you've seen that, you know that Guy Fieri goes, uh, goes to these uh, dives and drive-ins and diners, I guess, and uh, he finds this this food that is just amazing and and uh, not necessarily the healthiest, but just is incredibly ta incredible tasting. And he interviews the people, and then he goes in the kitchen and he talks to the owner or the chef, and they walk him through the process, right? And usually it's a it's a big old burger. You guys are getting hungry right now. It's a big old burger and and just dripping and oozing with it, or it's barbecue, you know, the shredded beef or the pork, or, and and and, uh, and and he talks to him and and he's interviewing him, and and it just it never ceases to amaze me, but as he's talking to me, he says, okay, and they talk about putting the rub on the, the meat, maybe they got the brisket there, and they're going to make a sandwich with it, whatever, but so they do all the stuff to it and add all the stuff, and then he says, okay, so you're going to take that out back to the smoker, the, the, the cooker there, and, uh, and, and you're going to put it out, how long does that go? And they'll say something like, oh, 36 hours. Hours? I mean, we got, not minutes, not, not seconds. Like a day and a half, they're going to cook this thing. Or, or maybe they're whipping up their signature sauce and, uh, and, and they're, they're going to use it in multiple ways throughout the many different things. And so they, they, and it like takes several days, right? To, to get this thing right and to let it sit just right and to have the right things at the right times. And, and so when you walk up to the window at a place like that, you're not thinking about, uh, the food taking that long. You, you want to get it in a couple of minutes and that's just boom, that you're ready to go. You're not thinking about the couple of days that it's taken to make it so good. Quality 
takes time. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness is not a 10-second prayer in the morning that God will help you be good today. You don't microwave righteousness. It's a slow cook. I think it's Eugene Peterson who wrote a book. It's, uh, it's on my shelf in my office. Uh, it's, it's called, I love the title, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A long obedience. That's a lifetime of putting on and maintaining the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Obeying God over the long haul. It's not a microwave. It's a slow cook. Over a 100 years ago, British layman and church treasurer William D. Longstaff knew all about this. In 1882, he wrote a poem, which was later set to music, and it became a hymn that has been sung in churches for over a 100 years now. And I can still remember as a child hearing the pipe organ pump it out loud and slow. Go ahead and put that up there. It's called Take Time to Be Holy. Maybe you've sung it before. Rest assured, I'm not going to sing it for you now. But it says this, Take Time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Abide in him always and feed on his word. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Take time to be holy. The world rushes on. Spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be. Thy friends, in thy conduct, his likeness, shall see. Putting on the breastplate of right, allowing God's righteousness to live through you so that it's his likeness that people see when they look at you. It takes time to be holy, to have the breastplate of righteousness in place, to guard your heart. So today, the challenge is for us to take the time because we have to guard our hearts. I mean, it's, it's the wellspring of life. <laughs> Everything flows from it. So protect it with God's righteousness. Consecrate yourself to him and let him put the breastplate of righteousness in place. Will you stand with me? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father God, we confess that, uh, that, that so many times we are involved in so many things and in many times that squeezes out the time to allow you to work your righteousness in our lives. We don't take the time to think about spiritual things. We don't take the time to speak often with you, to spend deep time in your word, to discuss spiritual things with with others. Lord, I pray that even in the quiet of this moment, right now, that you would enable us to consecrate ourselves to you. Maybe, maybe for the first time, maybe, uh, maybe just again, renewing that commitment to allow you to live your righteousness in our lives. Lord, forgive us for the times when we have, we have uh, uh, moved on and, and, or tried to do it on our own or not taken the time to spend deep, significant time with you. But Lord, we desire you to so fill us that others see you in us. 
Lord, I pray that, that as we go from here, that we can go knowing that the breastplate of righteousness is in place. Not, not a, a perfect sinless existence per se, but a, a, a deep heartfelt desire to serve you and to obey you at, at every turn. And, and decision after decision, day after day, month after month, year after year, it becomes a long obedience in your direction, seeking after you with all of our hearts. Lord, protect us. Reveal the things that we're allowing to influence us that, that, uh, that, that, sh- that are dragging us away from you. And restore us to the joy of your salvation. Lord, we thank you for this day. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.